from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Welcome to A Baha'i Perspective. I recorded an interview with Zinnia Harper on April 4, 2016. Zinnia is a singer-songwriter, and we feature her songs in the interview. Zinnia's mother is Filipino, and her father is Iranian. They came to Canada as religious refugees, and they had to start their life over when they arrived. Zinnia was very much aware of this as she grew up, and the experience is reflected in her music. You can find her music on iTunes under the name Zinnia. I started the interview by asking Zinnia where she grew up and what was it like growing up there. I grew up in Victoria, British Columbia in Canada. My parents ended up there because my dad's sister lives there. My parents met in Nigeria. They got married there and they were there for about eight years. They were both professors at college there. That's where I was born. My dad happened to be there because he was doing pioneer work or service work for the Baha'i faith. He met my mom, who was there teaching. And I guess one thing led to another, and then they fell in love and got married, and I was born there. When I was about two, they, I guess, couldn't get their visas renewed. The Nigerian government didn't want to renew their visas, and so they had to basically look for a place to go. So it was kind of funny because... The Philippines was willing to accept, oh, sorry, I didn't mention that my mom is Filipino and my dad is Iranian. The Philippines was willing to accept myself and my mom, but they didn't want my dad coming. So that didn't work. So then they looked at Australia, the United States, and Canada. We actually ended up in Canada because we came as uh, religious refugees. And we ended up in Victoria, British Columbia, because my aunt was living there, and that's where we had family. So that's where I ended up growing up. It was, it's, I think, now having a child myself, I think it's a wonderful place to raise kids. It's kind of small town, you know, kind of older values. But definitely not, now that I live in L.A., I can see that it's not as culturally diverse, perhaps, as it is down here. But it's, it's, getting, it's getting more diverse there. So you grew up as a Baha'i? Yes, I did, yeah. So your father also grew up as a Baha'i? So my father was born into a Baha'i family, and my mom was actually born into a Catholic family. So when she met my dad, she was not a Baha'i. She was a Catholic, and she went through her own period of her own soul searching, and you know, she really identified with the teachings of the Baha'i faith and ended up um, becoming a Baha'i before they got married. And so how many generations is your father a Baha'i? I think he's about five or six. Wow, goes back. <laughs> yeah, it goes back. What were your interests growing up? Well, obviously music. That was mm-hmm. a big one. I played the piano, really. I didn't start singing till I was in college. And also dance, that was a big one. I was actually really busy with a lot of Baha'i activities. So it was kind of just those three those three things. I'm not really an athletic person, though I do work out now. I wasn't into sports, so I'm more of an artsy, artsy person. 
did you perform before you went to college as a musician? Yes. I, I mean, I did like, you know, the standard piano recitals a few times a year from, I started piano when I was about three and that went up till the end of high school. So did the, those kinds of performances in high school. I did a lot of dance performances, you know, and the Spice Girls were big. We made our own little Spice Girls group and mm. <laughs> we performed a lot. So mm. it's uh, performing. It's uh, not a new thing. What did you study in college? In college, I started out uh, majoring in um, business and, you know, commerce, economics, but I quickly learned that that wasn't for me. And so I shifted over and I um, focused on Spanish and French. I went, I actually went to a French immersion school um, in Canada. There's, it's quite a common thing to have French immersion schools in the school district. So I went to French immersion for primary school and that French actually took me through university French. So I majored in Spanish and I minored in French and I became a high school teacher. And then music was always present after college? Yeah, it was. Even in college, I ended up taking, just for fun, just to fill credits, I took this songwriting class. And that was kind of what opened everything up for me. It was it was just kind of one of those magical things where it's like the right group of people and the right time and, you know, everybody's just feeding off of each other's energy. And so that class really set things off for me. And then after college, a few years after, I ended up joining a band and we played in Victoria probably three or four nights a week. Um, and we played like a lot of funk soul music. So that was a lot of fun. And when did you start doing solo work? So after I uh, finished my, that songwriting class, I really got into, you know, working on my own stuff. And I can remember just taking all kinds of different piano lessons because I was trained classically. And that's very different from what you need when you're, you know, writing your own songs. The foundation is there, but it's, it's a different kind of beast. So I took a bunch of piano lessons and vocal lessons, and I just kind of kept at it. And actually, joining the band was probably the best thing for me with regards to performance skills and vocals. What did you learn? Well, I was in a five-piece, or I guess I was the fifth piece, so <laughs> it definitely made my voice very strong because the guys were very loud. I learned to just get into the music and to just kind of, not I wouldn't say tune out the audience, but really to get into a song and to really just be in the moment in that song. You know, if you can do that as a performer, I think that you can kind of get people to come along with you. And that's where, you know, you connect with them as they're feeling what you're feeling when you're singing or performing. And how long were were you with that band? I was with that band for about three years. And then we um, we just kind of ended because I ended up having to move to Los Angeles, which is where I live now, just because of my husband's work. That was the end of that. So you never connected up with another band when you moved to L.A.? Well, I tried. I, when I first moved here, I went to a lot of interesting auditions and you know, answered a lot of interesting Craigslist ads, but nothing ever really panned out. I did find an excellent piano teacher here, so you know, we're still in contact. He's since moved. L.A., it's kind of a funny place. It's really big and spread out. Have you been doing performances on your own? Yes. So when my piano teacher lived here, his name is Doug, Doug and I would do 
performances together. And for me, it's a lot easier to just sing. Mm-hmm. But once he moved away, I had to really work on my piano skills. Yeah, now I just I, I accompany myself. Uh, have you produced an album? So uh, while we were living in Victoria, we worked with a really great producer, and we probably recorded somewhere between 12 to 16 songs. And we've released five of them on what's called an EP, which I guess is kind of like a like a demo. But, you know, we're hoping to release more and more as I play more often. So I asked you to uh, share some of the uh, music that you've written. Maybe we can get into that now. What would be the first piece you would like to uh, share? Well, I, I probably we want to talk about the one because okay. that seems to be the one that everyone likes (laughs) (laughs) and why do you think that is it's your classical pop ballad so and I I think Mm. that's it's just like you know it sounds very familiar and relatable and it's to date it's my only love song Mm. most of my songs aren't really romantically themed it is a romantic song you could any the listener could just enjoy it and you know think about their spouse or their child or brother or sister so what inspired you to write a love song? I guess at the time I had just either gotten married or met my husband. But he's going to kill me because this is going <laughs> to turn into like super cheese, super cheese moment. But yeah, I mean, it's it's basically about him, which mm-hmm. I mean, I, I usually open the show with the song. I always like to open um, a set with, you know, just love and talk about how we need more love in the world. and mm. But I, I normally won't say that it's about him, especially yeah. if he's in the room. Yeah. All right, so why don't we play that piece? So this is called The One. Okay, great.
So you're saying that your other songs are not love songs so much. So what piece do you have to offer that might be a little different than that? Well, this next piece is called What If. My dad left Iran when he was 17, and he ended up not going back because he's a Baha'i. And it was in the 70s that there was a revolution in Iran, and the Shah, or the king of Iran, was ousted, and a new regime took over, which was Khomeini. And things became not so great for the Baha'is. So there was um, systematic prejudice that was being endorsed by the government towards the Baha'is. As a result, a lot of Baha'is struggled and had to basically leave. My dad was lucky enough that he left before the revolution. So I think maybe they had gotten wind that something bad was coming along. So he was out already. But, you know, you hear a lot of stories about Baha'is who had to escape say, in the middle of the night and just kind of look at their possessions and just pick, you know, three or four pieces of jewelry or whatever and a couple things and grab their kids and just literally on a donkey on the side of the mountain try to make their way over to Pakistan or to Turkey. You know, I I grew up around some of these people. My sister-in-law, actually, her mom was pregnant with her when they escaped from Iran and So then there's that crazy side of it, which I feel like those of us who have been born basically and raised in North America, it's just, it's a bit of a mind trip to have to just leave everything and just pack up your stuff and just leave your country. And then all these people who are displaced had to start over basically from scratch in a new country. And that sometimes meant that whatever degrees they had or whatever education and qualifications they had were null and void and they had to start from scratch. I saw this, you know, with my own parents. I was really little when they came to Canada, but I was aware of the fact that they had to take jobs that they normally wouldn't have taken or, you know, work like in the middle of the night or, you know, just really difficult jobs just to make ends meet. And so the song What If is just for the rest of us a reminder of, you know, some of the struggles that I've seen growing up and just a reminder to take each day, day by day, and just to appreciate the things that we do have, because we are really blessed to be living where we're at and to be enjoying some of the freedoms and the liberties that we get. You said your mother is a teacher. When she yes. was she was a teacher in, in Africa. Yeah, in Nigeria. Nigeria, so. right, Nigeria. And you said mm-hmm. your father was... At they were a uni- both teachers. Okay, at a university? Yeah, I don't know if they worked at the same university, mm-hmm. but they were both working at different universities there. And so when they came to Canada, Mm -hmm. what kind of jobs did they end up having to take when they arrived? So basically they fell into that category of not being able to transfer over whatever accreditation they had. So my mom actually ended up even working at 7-Eleven, the graveyard shift, Mm -hmm. when they first moved there. Or like she had like this restaurant job and then she also worked retail, you know, just kind of anything to make ends meet. Did she eventually get her her accreditation? No, they both decided not to do that. So Mm -hmm. they just took different paths. She ended up getting um, a really good job with the government, finally. And then my dad, he had his own business, and then he also works as an insurance advisor. Yeah, I mean, I have Iranian friends here in the area. And Mm -hmm. same thing, they they were nurses in Iran. Mm -hmm. And when they came to the U.S., first... 
they didn't know the English language. Mm-hmm. And secondly, they had to take nurses' aid jobs because right. even though they were registered nurses in uh, Iran, they didn't have that accreditation. And so, again, they, as you said, they, they suffer because even though they come to a land of opportunity, the, there's still obstacles as a result of them arriving. Well, yeah, I mean, they're kind of starting from the bottom yeah, up right. again. So that's really something to think about. So that's what this song is about, What If? Yeah. Okay, so here is What If.
were you aware when you were growing up that your parents had to start over? I feel like I was very aware of it. Mm -hmm. I feel like I was very aware of where we were at financially, not because they would like rub it in my face or, you know, there was none of that. Definitely. Like I was very well taken care of. And my husband says I was definitely spoiled. <laughs> but <laughs> He has to deal with the repercussions. of that. <laughs> but I was aware of it, you know, and I was, as I said, like Victoria, it wasn't a mixed bag when I was growing up there. I was, you know, one of three different cultured children in my class of 30 or whatever. So I noticed it even when my parents would interact with other kids' parents that they were, that we were different. In what way? Like, well, I mean, they had accents. I think it was 92 or 93. That's when Desert Storm happened, right? Mm -hmm. I remember just a couple of the kids in my class as a joke, referring to my dad as Saddam Hussein. Mm. (laughs) I didn't think that was a nice thing. Right. How do you think that impacted your outlook growing up? I think it's forced me to become as compassionate as I possibly can be to other people and try not to be judgmental. All right. So do you have another piece you would like to share with us? So this next song is called Are You Here? I feel like all my songs have such a long intro to them. That's Half right. of my show ends up being talking. <laughs> You know, I, when I go to a concert, I just don't want to hear the music because I could hear that on a CD. That's true. It, I really like it when the musician interacts with me or with the right. audience, to, so I get to like know who this musician is. So Right. I mean, you're basically introducing yourself to yeah. the audience. This song was a collaboration between my husband and myself, the producer that we were working with. And Victoria and the lyrics, every time I play it, I think about Abdu'l-Baha, who is the son of the prophet founder of the Baha'i faith, Baha'u'llah. So as a Baha'i, to us, he's kind of the exemplar of a perfect human being. And I always felt a really strong connection to him growing up. We had pictures of him around our house and we had this little orange book. It's a kid's book, and it's written by Jacqueline Mehrabi. And in it, it, it's like super short stories in like 16 font for little kids about Abdu'l-Bahá's acts of kindness and service and his generosity and his humility. And I remember reading all of these stories, and it's a very small book, and just reading them over and over again and never getting tired of it. And, you know, it just helped to make my connection to Abdu'l-Bahá that much stronger. And in high school, you know, when I would have, like, exams or tests, I would always be praying to Abdu'l-Bahá, like, Abdu'l-Bahá, help me, like, get me through this test. If I don't get a good mark, my dad's going to kill me. And then I remember before I got married, we went, as a family, we went on pilgrimage to Haifa in Israel, And there's one portion of pilgrimage that you go on where you go into what's called the archives. And that's where there's various artifacts and pieces maybe of artwork or jewelry that you can look at and really admire. And one of the pieces of artwork was this huge painting of Abdu'l-Bahá. And it was placed up really high. It was like it 
it touched the ceiling. And I remember looking up at it and thinking to myself, wow, like Abdu'l-Baha really is in this room with us right now. Like, yes, of course, the painting is here, but his spirit is here with us right now. And after that pilgrimage, for as long as I could, I tried to just envision him with me all the time in my day-to-day life, just kind of holding my hand and walking by my side. You know, I just feel that when you can think about him being there with you like that, it just really helps you to be the best version of yourself you can at any given time, especially now that I have a two-year-old <laughs> envisioning Abdu'l-Baha right beside me when she's acting out or having a tantrum. It really helps for me to react in a different way. So the song, Are You Here?, is really about that person in your life who forces you to be the best version of yourself. And for me, that memory and that spirit is that of Abdu'l-Baha. So this is Are You Here?
So you said you collaborated with your husband. So your husband's a musician? He's an undercover musician. <laughs> he doesn't like to tell people that he's a musician, but he is definitely a musician. And he actually wrote the lyrics to Are You Here? Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So other than being the lyricist, did he have an, any other contribution? I can't remember if on this track he played. He played on the one. There's guitar in the chorus that he played on. Mm -hmm. I have a feeling he's probably played some guitar somewhere in Are You Here? And that's generally what he'll play if he's going to play on something. Mm -hmm. But he'll never play in public. Uh, <laughs> is that because he's shy? He's shy. And I keep telling him, you know, like, it would be so much easier for me if you just accompanied me. Yeah. But maybe one day. All right. So you have... Another piece for us? Yes. So this piece is called Hamishe and also has a long introduction. <laughs> I generally don't group these songs together because of their long introductions. You know, two, two or three songs in between each one. So as I said earlier, I'm uh, half Iranian and half Filipino. I grew up hearing about how wonderful Iran was. Because a lot of the people who left, a lot of Persians who left Iran were forced to do so. They didn't do it because they wanted to. And so they have these very fond memories of basically home, you know. They're, they had to leave their families and their homes behind. So hearing all of that growing up really created this hunger inside of me to learn more about Iran and Persian culture. Aside from what I already knew from family and friends. And so I'm, I'm like the first person to line up at the movie theater if there's like a, an Iranian movie playing. Even if, if like there's nobody else lining up, I'm there by myself. Or I'll, you know, be the first person at the library to check out a book that has come out from some hot new fiction writer. In reading all of these and seeing all of these things and doing my research and just, you know, satisfying this hunger, I've come to the conclusion that Iran is, it was at that time, and probably still is, a beautiful country with beautiful people. And it's just, unfortunately, this small minority who's taken over, who gives it a bad rap. Unfortunately, Iran has just a bad rap all over the world. It's not just because of their persecution of the Baha'is. And I feel like it's good to remember that in any situation, you know, there's good people there. It's just this small group that ruins it for the whole. And so I wrote the song Hamishe in memory of the Baha'i friends who are still in Iran and who still have to live under this regime and in persecution on a day-to-day -day basis. And also for those who left, to kind of write it as a tribute to them and what they left behind. And in the chorus, which is actually in Farsi, I'm saying, don't be sad, don't cry, I will always be with you. So this is Hamishé.
Because of the way they choose to live their life All my thoughts can only live in the street The land I knew is falling apart at the seas Does your father still have family in Iran? Yes, he does. He came from a really big family. There were, I think, in total 13 kids. I think I still have three aunts there. Three of his sisters are still there with their families and grandkids. And probably lots of cousins and aunts and uncles if they're Mm. still alive. Does he know how they're coping there? I think that we get kind of the half story because whenever we call or whenever they call, there's always the looming threat of somebody listening in on the conversation. So when you ask them how they're doing, most of the time they'll just say, you know, we're doing really well or everything's really great. But over the years, we have had family members who've gone back to visit and, you know, they come back and they... You know, they confirm that it, it is a struggle and it's hard and it's, um, it's not an easy life. So often, Baha'is lose their jobs. I imagine that's the case with uh, your father's family. I'm not aware of anybody who's lost their jobs, mainly because most everybody left. And my aunts who stayed there were um, homemakers, you know. 
they're in their 70s and so right. the tradition was that they stayed home with the kids and mm-hmm. were stay-at-home moms and so it's mostly the older generation that's still there yeah yeah so a lot of of your father's nieces and nephews also left iran yeah i mean i think that they were pretty little mm-hmm. at the time when mm-hmm. they left so they've yeah. kind of resettled in various countries all around the world you know, that reminds me of the situation with the Baha'i youth in Iran who want to go to college mm-hmm. but aren't able to. Maybe you could describe to folks what the situation is there and how are they trying to adapt. If you're a Baha'i, you are not permitted to go to any post-secondary education and I've heard stories, actually, of Baha'is who have started at a university, and later it was found out that they are a member of the Baha'i faith, and they've been kicked out. So as a result, what's called the BIHE, or the Baha'i Institute for Our Higher Education, was formed, and they work kind of, I would say, underground, or they're kind of like a top-secret group. They're their own professors. They're providing an opportunity for those who want to get a post-secondary education to get one. And what's been happening is that they have become recognized. I know they're recognized in Canada because I know there are students who've moved to Montreal and been able to pick up where they've left off at universities there. And even here in the United States, their degrees are being recognized from that BIHE, by Institute of Higher Education. I have seen a lot of support uh, mm-hmm. around the world for mm-hmm. BIHE. In fact, I know a professor at Western New England College here in Western Massachusetts that mm-hmm. is a professor mm-hmm. for BIHE. Do these young people that have taken these BIHE courses online, are they able to leave Iran to go to university is or is or is that a, a roadblock as well you know what i actually had a rehearsal today with three persian guys who left iran not that long ago and we were talking about this issue of leaving iran and i was kind of saying well is it okay to leave can you leave um do they check your passport and one of them today said that they're actually happy when a baha'i leaves the country i thought that was very interesting But, yeah, I think that you encounter more problems when you're trying to get back in. Oh, that's interesting because I've I've known some some friends that have gone back to visit, but maybe it's a volatile situation and it depends on the day of the week that uh, you're going to have a problem or not. And the officer's mood and, you know, like the way the wind blew that day. I've had had a good friend of mine went back a couple years ago and had no problems. And anytime somebody tells me they're going back, I like hold my breath and I'm like, oh my God, I have to pray for you because right. I'm so scared for them. Zenia, if somebody wants to find out about your music, do you have a presence on the web or on Facebook? Oh, yes. You know, as an artist, you have to be everywhere these days. <laughs> I'm on Facebook and I'm also on iTunes and I'm also on Nine Star Media. I can be found at monsterrecords.com. So once they're on those websites, they can just search for Zinnia Harper? Oh, I just go by Zinnia. I've Very dropped good. the Harper. It's like Madonna. <laughs> and share. <laughs> and share, yes.
You know, I think we have time for one more piece. Um, okay. Is there another one? I'd love to. All right. Sure. So what would you like to share? Okay, so this next song is called On and On. When I was writing it, I don't really know what I was thinking as far as the theme and where it was going to go. But now when I play it, I like to call to mind the image that we have in the Baha'i faith of the concept of life after death. There is this beautiful image of our body being like a cage and our soul being like a bird. And when we pass on to the next life, our soul, which is this bird, is free to fly, you know, in the sky and in the heavens. And I just love that image. So every time I play the song on and on, I like to think about that. And I actually, I have the quote from Abdu'l-Bahá. I don't know if you'd like me to read a little bit of it. I would. Okay. All right. So in, in Abdu'l-Bahá's words, uh, he says, To consider that after the death of the body, the spirit perishes is like imagining that a bird in a cage will be destroyed if the cage is broken. Though the bird has nothing to fear from the destruction of the cage, our body is like the cage, and the spirit is like the bird. If the cage becomes broken, the bird will continue and exist. Its feelings will be even more powerful, its perceptions greater, and its happiness increased. So the song is based on that quote? Yes, it is now. <laughs> <laughs> so so you wrote this and then you became aware that it was about life after death or how did that work? Well, I wrote it just really thinking about the struggle of the human condition and how hard it can be for anybody anywhere. And then in the in the chorus I talk about moving on and on and you know, it's just this idea of us polishing this soul that we've been given in this life so that it can be as sparkling and as beautiful and as brilliant as it can be in the next life. And, you know, that polishing process is quite difficult. Yeah. Yeah. It's the trials and tribulations of this world right. that polish this rough stone into a gem. Exactly. All right, so this song is called On and On. Fueled by desire 
Zinnia, what is the process you find in writing a song? I usually find that I have to go based on, if I come up with a melody, then I'll have to see what kind of an emotion that will evoke in me. Or if I have a strong feeling about a certain topic, then I'll go to the piano and start writing. But usually it's, I'll just be sitting noodling around and I'll, I'll find this melody and then I'll just, you know, see what, what I identify with it, what kind of a feeling. What my wife does is she carries around a digital recorder. Oh, and, good one. And pulls it out and if a melody appears, she'll, she'll hum the melody. If lyrics mm-hmm. appear, she'll recite the lyrics so that she can have it in her back pocket. That's really smart because sometimes you'll just be like at the grocery store and yeah. an idea will come to you. And if you don't record it, then by the time you get home, it's, it's gone. You said you put out an EP. You said you can find those at the websites you named. Are you eventually going to produce a full-length CD, you think? I don't know. Um, I think my next goal is going to be to produce a full-length album of devotional music. So prayers and meditations probably before I do like a more mainstream album. Mm -hmm. And this would be based on the writings of the Baha'i Faith? That's right, yes. You had told me earlier that you had just finished writing a piece. Uh, What was that one? That one's called Fighting For. And I was in Victoria last summer visiting my parents. And I got the chance to go see an artist there. His name is Vince Vaccaro, and he's kind of like a local celebrity there. And I just wanted to see what all the hype was about, and he was doing this house concert, and a girlfriend of mine and I decided to go, and I just think that as a musician, it's so important to go see other musicians and to be inspired by other music, so it answered a lot of questions for me to go, and it was amazing. He was amazing, and he was so good at getting into his songs and emoting and taking you in there with him. And after seeing him, I was inspired to write this song called Fighting For. It took a while for the lyrics to come. The melody was there. Just over the last six months, so many crazy things have started happening. First, I think there was an earthquake in Nepal. And then there was the tragedy that happened in Paris. And then most recently, what happened in Brussels and also in Pakistan. Oh, and there was also actually even a shooting not too far away from where we live here in Pasadena. And it just seems like every time you turn on the news or every week or every other day, there's some kind of horrible tragedy that we're seeing. And I just am starting to feel like, what's it going to take for us as a society, as a brotherhood of human beings to, you know, really realize that all we have is each other and that we just have to come together. The time to hold hands and sing Kumbaya is now. Mm. We're, we're living in it. And so I was inspired to write this song called Fighting For, and it's really a question to ourselves. What are we fighting for? And a question to others, what, are they, what is everyone fighting for? So you have it recorded? Not yet. Mm-hmm. That's, on the, that's on the to record list. Well, Zenia, I want to thank you so much for sharing your life and your work with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Zinnia Harper, a Baha'i and a singer-songwriter. 
You can find our music on iTunes by searching for Zinnia. That is Z-I-N-N-I-A. You can find this interview and other interviews at www.abahaiperspective.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching for A Baha'i Perspective. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you'll join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.